0: First question, important question, it's what everyone wants to know. Who actually shoots better, the Norwegians or the Swedish?
1: <laughs> it's Norwegians by far. Good. <laughs> There's no doubt. If you look at it at a national scale we do have a stronger uh culture for shooting in norway than they do in sweden it used to be the same in the 60s and 70s but uh, their strongest shooting organizations in sweden has more or less died off so if you look at it as a shooting culture and not the individual shooters norway is one of the strongest nations in europe currently It's the second biggest sport in Norway, only beaten by uh, soccer. And I think we have uh, somewhere between five and ten percent of the people or the population is doing shooting.
0: What is the firearms licensing process over there? Are you individually registered, or guns are registered, or?
1: Uh, they are registered to you as an individual and it seems like we have something similar that you are approaching in New Zealand now. You basically have to demonstrate that you are competent to handle it safety, safely and that you have a place to shoot it. Which means you are either a member of a club or you have a hunting license. And by law, you're more or less guaranteed to have, I think it's eight firearms that they give you without question. For each, I can have eight for sport shooting, eight for hunting... Eight for handguns and eight for this discipline and eight for this discipline. And if I want more than that, I have to demonstrate a need, which in effect means that I will be traveling to a lot of matches and uh, copy the results. Okay, I'm doing 100 matches a year. I'm doing all this. Okay, I really need it because I really do compete with my firearms. I just I don't hoard them. But if you do want to collect, you can also collect firearms. You just need to be uh, a part of the collector's union and you have to define what sort of collection you are doing. You can't just buy anything. You need to limit yourself to a historical period, a type of firearms or a manufacturer or something like that.
0: I, I think what you've just said where it's it's eight per discipline or eight per you know, different style makes a lot more sense. There's some, some pretty rumors and they are rumors at the moment going around that we may be limited to five firearms total which very quickly you count up you know a 22 and a comp rifle and a shotgun and it's like okay we'll have five rifles within 30 seconds but um i don't think it will be that restrictive but i can see it um requiring more justification as to why you've got all the guns just out of this perception that there's people just hoarding guns for the sake of hoarding guns, which I've never actually met that person. So I, I look forward to meeting that person in New Zealand,
1: but
0: <laughs> apparently they're out there. So, you know, apparently. I, I'm not sure where I first came across you. I mean, it would have been via YouTube, via your videos. I just had a look. You're coming up to 345 videos now. Uh, and 12 years ago is where I went back and looked at your very first ones. Um How did you or why did you decide to get into actually recording stuff and putting it up on YouTube? Because it would have been new just to have stuff on YouTube at that point, let alone shooting stuff.
1: No, I was doing some freelance work for a gun magazine, writing about long-range shooting, and um, the editor was getting complaints from the readers that didn't believe what they were reading. So I had to, uh, or I more or less filmed the demonstration to... uh, on the line what I was doing in the articles and made a practical demonstration and the complaints went away. So that was the first reason. And uh, the second reason was that uh, I wanted to, um, as we have a very strong rifle culture in Norway, I also wanted to encourage a strong national long range culture because it was just getting started in Norway then and in my opinion the uh, gear hype and the american influence was too strong which meant that you would raise the bar for participation too much and the sport would basically die before it had any chance to take off i mean you're not going to try anything if you need a ten thousand dollars starting fee <laughs> so the, which, uh, we, I, which we still seem
0: to be uh, facing that challenge
1: here oh, in yes. many places as well. And Yes, long range shooting in Norway as a sport has developed into a race. So you have no hope of winning or uh, placing high competitively without a dedicated rifle for that. Um, well,
0: we now have the uh, the Voodoo twenty two LRs turning up in KRG chassis at twenty two comps, and you're just the <laughs> they started as the entry level way to get into oh, longer yes. range stuff, and and but but I should also then bracket it and still say you still have the guys turning up with their varminting rifle or their hunting rifle and still have a great time and are still welcomed in and encouraged to get in. But yes, in the open class, those guys at the top, um, there is a little bit of a gear race going on. Although I remember one of our first 22 shoots, we had a guy with a very high-end rifle, but the guy who won was using pretty much the cheapest combination of rifle and scope that you would ever find, and he'd intentionally done it so. He was a good shooter, and Mm -hmm. he'd intentionally done it so. His sunshade was a bit of plastic that he'd cut and duct-taped around the end of the scope, just good position into positions quickly, shooting, making those shots, and carrying on. So yeah, it was that always happened. Those guys always pop up to just remind everyone that we may be focusing in the the wrong direction.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: would you consider yourself because a, a lot of your content is obviously hunting orientated and the long range shooting? Do you consider yourself a hunter first and foremost, or a competitive shooter, or
1: I don't compete. The only reason I participate in competitions is uh, for someone else to test me. So I have a training regime laid out for me and I'm just paying an entrance fee and I can gauge myself if my training is good enough, which means uh, when I compete, when I succeed, I have a 100% match of what I predict my score will be at the stage and what I actually do. Like, for example, barricade, drill, I never practice that because that isn't relevant to my hunting. So I predict I will score 40 to 50% of what is possible in that stage. And it usually does. And when we get into the more uh, field position, classic, prone, etc. I usually predict with a very high degree what my score will be. And I score high on the stages that is relevant to what I am doing. So I do compete, but I use the competitions as a gauge. I don't compete to score and win. It's more checking that my risk assessment is realistic because when I am hunting, it has or it can have a rather large uh, consequences if I make mistakes. So I want to be able to predict the mistakes and do a uh, reasonably good risk assessment before I shoot. And so I am first and foremost a hunter. And the only reason I'm on the range basically is that I don't have enough hunting. So if I had more hunting, I wouldn't be that much at the range, but I live in the North. It's not that much to do. Here. I can sit in the sofa and drink beer, or I can go to the range. And you really don't want to chase women here, not in wintertime at least.
0: <laughs> the um, Over there, have you had the similar thing where – it seems in the last couple of years there has been and i don't know if it ties in with the competition it probably just ties in with media and people watching other guys shooting a long way at animals which we all know is very selective because you don't see the misses and the injuries and the bits and pieces They don't generally put them up in the youtube videos but have you seen a similar thing where there is more people just wanting to go hunting and shooting further, like it's not necessarily about the animal, it's about how far you shot it, no. that seems to be the
1: We don't, don't have see it at it? all. No, no. Uh, not is, here. Uh yeah. I see it on the web and the American shows and things like that, but in the Norwegian hunting culture, not at all. We don't see it. Because the say, way
0: it's a cultural thing for you 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 see it as a cultural No, not thing?
1: really but uh, how, how to put it, just because you are skilled with a rifle, that doesn't change the hunt, uh, the moose will still use the forest it will still be baited by the dog it will still move the same way the red deer will be up on the mountain and you know uh, it will be more limited by your ability to find and view the animal than the ability to shoot it and you know dedicated long-range hunting sure they do exist as you know people shooting across fields you know waiting for the deer to come out and things like that but for the hunter no not at all it doesn't show up hmm. any other than being more incompetent shots i would say yeah
0: yeah I, it's something we've talked about on the shows we've done here as well, because uh, the ch- people seem to be nervous about telling other people how or what, how they should hunt or what they should shoot. But I do get to the point where I'm now just openly cautioning people and going, you know, I've just set a rifle up for you. That doesn't mean I've just signed you off to go and shoot at an animal 500 meters. That's not what we're actually doing here. Um the the challenge has always been how you get these guys to measure their competency at that that distance or when when am i ready to shoot long range and you know obviously working your way out makes makes good sense but i've always also thought that your um thlr a long range prof- proficiency challenge has always been a good starting benchmark to go well you kind of need to nail that as a test before you even consider shooting at an actual animal uh because with steel if you miss you miss you get to shoot again but obviously with an animal you can cause a lot of lot of damage and and issues with it as well so i've always kind of found your your test for that to be a good you know well show me you can do that before we even talk about shooting at an animal was that was that the um, intent of a test or was it a test to just, um, again, to set yourself a, a benchmark for it?
1: No, not really. It was more or less a reality check uh, to combat the keyboard warriors. So we, uh, I managed to get at least one of the larger uh, matches, the Midnight Sun Rifle Challenge, to integrate that test in their shooting. And there you have the top level The top level shooters do attend and the pass rate on the proficiency test is roughly 30%. Hmm. So the moment you put some pressure on it uh, and you have to perform now, it doesn't matter what the conditions are. I tell you, perform now and there are really no excuses on that one shot. And Hmm. I think there are too many people that forget that part. They only remember the good bits and you know, sort of censor themselves into not remembering the bad shots or what their real level of competence is or is not. So that was one of the reasons uh, I made it, because it's a fairly brutal test, and it reflects reality if you want to go long-range hunting. Yeah, like you say, brutal but
0: realistic. and. I note here when people are talking long range hunting or talking about their exploits or looking at getting into it, I point out to them that for a lot of the guys who are competing down here, there seems to be a, a thing that the guys who compete and do well, the more they compete, the less likely they are to take those longer shots and animals because they have a more realistic understanding of what their limitations are
1: and uh, you must not forget that shooting during a competition is fundamentally different because you do take so much data from shot to shot onto the Mm. next target i mean you have the wind you learn the wind you refine the wind over several stages and by all means you can clean the last seven stages but the first third that's where you learn the wind and uh, when you are hunting it is one shot, you have one opportunity, and you will have approximately a 30-degree variation where you are unable to detect the change, and that is going to move the bullet left and right. Mm. So yeah. there is, there is, an, how to put it, an undefinable component of error. The only way you can get it down is to shoot in weak winds.
0: Is it something that just comes from experience? It's something I know and and acknowledge that unknown that until you put a round out there and see what's actually happened, you can't really refine it. Is that just something that comes with shooting enough rounds to understand that you're not in control of that part? You can do your best and narrow that error down, but there's a certain point where...
1: Well, I work at an airport, so my view is full of sensors. So uh, I know what I see when I look out the window, and I can just look down on the sensors, and I can see the fluctuation in the wind displayed in front of me. So I can tell you that there is a fluctuation, and you're not going to be able to detect it with the eye. And the runway I'm looking at, we have four sensors. And uh, yeah, good luck in trying to pick the wind direction there i can do it because i know i know the range and i know uh, the instruments uh, but i cannot refine it to like say one o'clock or half two or 90 degrees or 80 degrees or 130 degrees just forget about it the wind doesn't behave like that and if you want to look into the science of it you can just google windrows and you can look at the, the statistical data and it's a one, two and 10 minutes, which is the usual intervals. And you will see how much the wind will fluctuate inside that interval. It,
0: it's something as well that I've noticed. I mean, an airport will be pretty flat, but then guys will spend all their time on a flat range. Their home flat range. F class shooters seem to be good for this. That They're like, we can read the wind they're like you can read the wind on your range with those flags up and, Yes, it's your home range. You've got the home advantage. But walk people onto a different range or more importantly hunting where there's terrain like hills and mountains and valleys. And you very quickly realize that, that you know, I, I have enough trouble reading wind accurately on a flat range. Put me in a mountain range where it's doing all these other things as well. And it becomes a... Um, I don't like the term black magic or the, the notion of magic, but it becomes a very complicated thing that you're right. Unless you've got sensors out there, you're not going to be able to keep on top of it
1: completely. Yeah, that's correct. Mm. And uh, in the same way you introduce, uh, when you move away from the flat range and you go over to the elevated sites where your bullet not only travels through a long distance, but you also, the wind will travel over a different elevation you know above ground uh, you will also have different wind speeds because of the distance to the ground and if you look at it simply you can call it friction it isn't Uh, and if you want to look at the science you can just google windmills and see how they uh, compute the power output from that Hmm. and you will see how the layers and the distance uh, from the ground will affect the wind velocity And if you want to do it even simpler and you have a kestrel, you can try doing a measurement down at your ankle and you can raise your arm as high as you can above your head or go on the top of your car and you will see a significant increase in the wind velocity compared to what you will be seeing down below. So if you're lying prone, put up a kestrel beside you and think you're reading the wind. (laughs) You are not. You are just uh, unconsciously incompetent because you don't know what you're doing in terms of wind.
0: The amount of times guys are shooting prone and they're not understanding why the wind's blowing them around and you're standing behind them either spot or just standing and I've said to them it's like stop, stand up, get your head in the wind and actually feel this wind up here which is your bullet is passing through that because you're right, lying down prone, you don't feel it all and sometimes guys position themselves so they're blocked further by the wind anyway because they're next to something that's blocking the wind. So um and so, as it
1: would be when you are hunting as well, because you do want to use cover on your approach and you do want to pop your head up somewhere, the animals don't <laughs> see you too easily. So you have to visually get the wind in or you have to gauge the wind on the approach. Yeah. But, you can't uh, you yeah.
0: can't really stand there and whirl your kestrel around doing the, the kestrel. Oh twirl. you can, but you will <laughs> well, not there's an do animal much over hunting. <laughs>
1: Oh, I don't know. Maybe a Xiaomi or something will come to investigate, <laughs> but most will just lag like it.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, so uh, going back to something we said earlier, you did for the first uh, 10, nearly 11 years, there was not a lot of speaking on your videos. Uh, or I yes. should rephrase it, not a lot of speaking in English in, in your videos. And then at the end of the last season, you sort of said your farewells in some ways until the next season and you've come back now and you're talking and you're doing podcast interviews and chatting and was there a reason for that? Was it, um, yeah, because your English is fine.
1: (laughs) Uh, It was just that I participated in one of the other podcasts that are doing Uh, hunting shows here in Norway Uh, and he asked me why do I stick to the four, five, six minute format uh, and don't do the 15 to 20 minutes that so many seems to be aiming for and I said (laughs) I know very well that I do produce shit so I'm not going to prolong the pain and (laughs) I have a fairly realistic and pessimistic view on what the production quality was and uh, we have a saying in Norway the the table catches the word or the table catches the card and then it was out in the open and I was okay do you, do you want to do another couple of years producing shit or do you want to improve <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was basically the motivation okay time to get off the shit and learn some new skills and uh, with the lockdowns I had some time off and I decided oh, I'll learn a bit more about color and sound and uh, how to plan and execute uh, a tuition on the camera. And uh, that was the result and uh, me starting to speak. And uh, I saw that it allows me to be a fair bit more precise and um, at least trying to relay more data and more detail. And hopefully uh, the viewer will have an easier access to his own success. So yeah, that was the motivation. Just the need of something to do.
0: What's the what's the time frame you're talking about here? In the last six months or the last year? Because the reason one you're too modest, because I've been watching your videos for years and the production quality on them has just increased, increased, increased. And I've always loved the work that you've done because it's not it's shooting, but there's also the scenery and there is there is background. There's more to it than it just a guy behind the rifle shooting. so always for improvement but i do have to say you your production for the last couple of years has been perfectly it's not how i would just i would not describe it as shit by any uh stretch of the imagination but
1: well uh when you look at image quality you know simply from the fact that i didn't have cameras with sufficient sensor size to capture the uh beauty and when sure. i look at how tame the colors come out in the pictures compared to what I'm seeing in real life. I wanted something that uh, was approaching uh, the actual experience as I saw it. You know, the color intensity, the sounds, uh, the winds, that sort of thing. And being able to relay more of the experience. So I basically realized I have to improve I have to learn new skills and I have to get better cameras, better lenses, better sensors. And uh, I also learn why uh, camera and sound and editing are separate professions (laughs) because there's a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, to to make
0: something look simple and nice and short and condensed takes, yeah, more work than anyone would ever imagine.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: so uh, a diversion for our non-video editing uh, followers or friends, I suppose. But you you switched over recently. I saw you had the speed editor from Resolve turn up. Yes. Did you switch? Were you always in Resolve or you switched over to no. Resolve from no, what no. were you I using was, previously?
1: Um... I can't really remember. I had to close this window, and I'm not going to risk that with uh, the advances we have done in technology so far. But it was one of the consumer-level programs, and it had a definite uh, performance roof. You know, I couldn't get enough control over colors. I couldn't get enough control over sound. I couldn't get enough uh, control over the cuts. So I had to research what was my options to uh, have something that didn't have a performance roof, something where I can develop freely and you know, no limit in the software. And I landed on um, DaVinci Resolve and Speed Mm. Editor, which is an immense improvement in terms of tool quality compared to what I was using. Yeah.
0: I I mean, I've used several different suites over the years, a lot for photography and still use um, Adobe products for a lot of the photography side of things, but using Resolve, yeah it all seemed nice and integrated workflow made a bit more sense to the brain. The color as I was learning color correction, it's like it was a color correcting program first and then built up the almost the video editing program over the years as well. And as I say to people, which still amazes me, which you got speed editor, so do I, so we've both got pro versions of it of the software. but the actual software, the base version is free. That you can do. Yes. That's the amazing thing that people can and download that, it. And,
1: and that is my recommendation to everyone that basically wants to start. Choose Davinci Resolve. Go with the free version, and if you want to dig deeper into it, you can trans or you can skip to the next level with all mm. your skills intact. Because I basically had three months where I didn't understand anything. I had yep. to relearn quite a lot from the other programs. Um, exactly. And I
0: still, still learning the pro side of things, Uh, 90, 95% of what everyone is ever going to use is all covered in that free version as well. The rest of it is understanding how it works, which is maybe something people can reflect on for the shooting side of things as well. It's all very well having the equipment, but you still need to understand how it works and those fundamentals and those principles behind it. Uh, and the more you focus on that, the more you realize the the equipment is important, um, but the skill set and understanding behind it is is way more important.
1: Yes, so absolutely.
0: for you these days, uh, because I've just done, I did a, a fishing trip a couple of days ago and I'm editing a video up now. Once you start putting some cuts in there and putting some music under there and putting some titles and then re-editing and re-editing, how long would you estimate it takes you to actually produce one of your videos these days? If you don't mind me asking, uh,
1: it, it's a full. It's a. Full, <laughs> it depends if it if it is a hunting film or a shooting film. If we take the tuition side of it, uh, it usually a sketch with a few lines. Just okay, I'm going through natural point of aim. I want to show this and this. That's two, three, four sentences, and uh, I leave home at approximately six o'clock in the morning, and I'll be home at five in the evening. And that's just the capture and shooting part of it. Um, yep. One or two hours just to sort a clip. And depending on how much I want to process it, I would say I have uh, <laughs> around 15 hours uh, into each episode now. It used to be a bit more. I'm working a bit faster now. and But now, again, I'm starting to learn sound. So now I'm approaching 20 again because I want to... Try to up the audio quality, and there is a lot of watching tutorials on YouTube involved when I try to learn how to do this and how to do that. Yep. And uh, yeah, there's also a lot of dud episodes you watch before you find someone that speaks of something that is relevant to you at a level that also is relevant. Sadly, but the benefit of YouTube is that it is free
0: and i think the the benefit and both the benefit and the challenge of youtube online on hold because 10 years ago to go online and do a search for i want to understand how to eq a vocal or i want to understand how to zero a rifle or what is natural point of aim 10 years ago it would have been the the magazines and the media and bits and pieces like that now you can jump online and do a google search and get inf- so much information you're Absolutely. right the levels of it is sometimes the challenge. And I think it's the it becomes hard for people to filter, basically, who do I listen to? What do I, what, you know, where is the good advice? Where is the bad advice? And I've kind of found sometimes it's a case of doing it, trying something, but just still keeping an open mind enough to not read something on the internet and go, well, that's the one and only way. It just sometimes seems to be a case of trying and and. Kind of incorporating that into what you already know and having to self-evaluate. I mean, how how do you suggest people kind of weed through the amount of information? Obvious answer is just follow you because we kind of know <laughs> no. at this point you've got it pretty established. And other I, 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 well, I, and other people then, but you know, how do, how do people weed through this? What's the Because you can go into Uh, some very long rabbit holes reading about Coriolis and the mess behind that for five days and then out the other end of it you go. It makes no... Try to
1: keep in line what is your end goal, what is your desired end state, why are you looking into the subject, be that editing or rifle shooting. Uh, Do you want to be entertained? Uh, Do you want to debate on the internet? Or do you want to succeed at the competition? Or do you want to be a better hunter? And also, when you keep that end goal in mind, also please try to uh, examine if there are other uh, sides of the subject where you will mm-hmm. have more gain from improving. I mean, if you're looking into, mount, let's just say you're looking into mountain hunting, uh, you want a lightweight rifle, you research that rifle, you build that rifle. Uh, I don't know. what What is a custom rifle in New Zealand? four or $5,000? Something like that. It would be at home, at yep. least. Yep. And if you do all that work and uh, you shoot at 100 meters at the stationary paper range, you don't leave prone, and you totally neglect the physical ability of getting off the mountain, you've obviously mm-hmm. done something wrong. I mean, yep. don't, don't get too narrow in your search. Uh, keep a realistic track on what do I want to do? What is my desired end state? And what is included in that? So yeah, that's how I try to do it at least.
0: I've, I've had a few rifles through recently that were very, very lightweight. And guys have this thing where they'll go super lightweight, but still want the biggest cartridge they can fit into it. So you end up with these guns that just push you all over the place and are not pleasant to shoot. To well, work. not unpleasant, but yeah, you're not going to sit. You're not going to sit there at the range and practice because you want to get it shot, zeroed as quickly as possible yep. and move on to something a bit more nicer to shoot, which is not what people should be doing. And you're right. Like you say, the level of fitness, I wonder if instead of spending all the money on trying to save that final 100 grams off the rifle, is maybe a gym membership or even just going out with a pack and getting some walks in and some bits and pieces so you can deal with a slightly heavier rifle.
1: Uh, and it and it I, I talk from...
0: I talk from somebody who's way not as fit as he should be at the moment. So I'm not talking from, you know.
1: And it can be even simpler than that. Stop drinking sugar sodas. And I'll give you 10 months and you're going to be five to 10 pounds lighter and you'll yep. gain a lot of fitness. You know, all these small changes can bring you towards the goal. It's not going to be the rifle or that skill set alone, it's all the tiny things together. And changing your habits i think that's the hardest part of you know accomplishing a new skill especially I, if it's something you want to do
0: i often observe it seems to be a perceived shortcut by spending money we can buy or the perception is we can buy these skills or we can buy these bits and pieces but sadly at the end of the day yes it's not buying that super lightweight rifle it's getting up which I'm trying to get back into the habit of it's getting up in the morning and doing some stretches and some just 10-15 minutes of exercise in the morning which you take a step back and go that should be one of the simplest things for any human being to do but it's actually quite challenging and it's almost easier for people to lay out $6,000 on a lightweight hunting rifle and go well that's that but done. And so Yeah
1: I can perfectly identify with that. My Uh, How to put it? My constraint is always the time. I run out of time when I want to learn new things. It's usually not the money because what I'm doing isn't the most expensive bit, but it's time. So I have to prioritize, okay, I can't do reloading anymore. I have to buy the ammunition. Mm. Uh, In order to buy the ammunition, I have to work overtime. Uh, And then do I really need to shoot that amount of shots? Uh, Okay, I can do two weekends over time, how much ammunition can I get for that? And, you know, okay, and this is my ammunition budget then. And, uh, yeah, be careful to measure your gains towards the expense. So don't just blindside yourself and set a goal and go for it without considering the consequences or the alternative approaches to it. But, yeah when you do research a skill and you want to learn something new and you're using free sources you're not signing up for a paid course or something like that you will do you will spend a fair amount of time down some rabbit holes that will basically lead you nowhere but it is better to do that and spend time than actually committing to equipment and spending a lot of money on buying something and wasting a lot of resources which you may or may not be able to recover uh, and then you know you completely derail and get off track because you Mm -hmm. don't have the resources to get to where you really want to be so yeah set a realistic goal examine what goes into that goal and try to approach it from that
0: well i have someone at the moment who's looking to buy a long range get into a long range game and and wants a long range rifle and has a bit of money to spend and we've been looking at some options for him and then he said oh would it be beneficial for me to just come out with my existing rifle it's a 308 and just spend a day and we'll just shoot some and talk about this I'm like yes yes it will because even though the your old hunting rifle which is probably still perfectly adequate doesn't have all the bells and whistles on it even spending a day shooting that and learning and understanding, you know, the differences between what a, a scope with different functionality would have or what these flatter shooting cartridges would do. Just that day out having a chat about stuff is going to give this guy so much more insight so that when he's asking these questions about what rifle, what scope might I want, he's not totally dependent on. Basically, in some cases, a salesperson going, Well, this is what you need, this is what you need. Because the amount of times I've seen guys who have been sold rigs that maybe on paper make sense, but then you look into it and it's we still have people being sold like you know mill reticles, MOA scopes, and I didn't think they even made them, but apparently they do, and they still sell them through stores occasionally. And right. the guy. Yeah, exactly. and the guy gets it and it's got a dialable. He knows he needs dials and he needs dots in these reticles because apparently you need a reticle. And then you kind of walk him through and explain the difference between mill and MOA and very quickly they're like, oh, so this is not, it's still, it'll still work. This is, I always tell, it'll still work, we'll still do it. But a little bit of information or understanding could have possibly steered yourself in a slightly better direction for that one. So I have noticed you uh, don't generally have, you know, you're not ever been one for chasing the latest and greatest equipment or bits and pieces. And you will quite clearly state the simple Kestrel is all that you need. And you'll see the same rifles uh, coming out, you know, the blazers coming out quite regularly to be shot and they get they get modified and they get paint jobs and you're always tinkering on them. Have you always been more inclined to um, improve on what you have and make use of less versus going out and chasing the latest and greatest? Did you do uh, a period like some of us do, where you go and chase and <laughs> got through the other end? I, I just I ask because I did I've
1: it. Been... I've been in my twenties like everyone, yeah you chase, you chase everything, doesn't matter what you're into, you're True. going to chase something better, and then you get some experience into whatever you are doing, and you learn to use the equipment that you do have. Uh, but no, it's not really that um, how to put it. I have real world problems, you know real life problems, uh, things I need to solve. And once my equipment is above the good enough threshold and it solves the problem, it would take something. Well, I don't know what would motivate me to spend money or resources uh, trying to solve that problem better if it's already being solved at a satisfactory level. Um, Typically precision, sure, I can get a rifle that shoots tighter than my blaster, but it's not going to matter for the end result I'm not going to kill any more animals. Uh, And it's the same with the scopes. Uh, It's not like I'm going to see them 10 minutes later in the twilight. And it's not Mm. like I'm going to see any more uh, deer by changing the binoculars or whatever. So what I'm chasing now is trying to uh, lose weight. On the total setup, but uh, I do that in backpacks, tripods, the amount of batteries I carry. I try to get camera houses with uh, you know larger bath- power capacity so I don't have to carry six batteries. I can carry three batteries, that sort of thing. Uh, I try to carry less water. I change a water bottle from something that weighs 300 to something that weighs 80 grams. Uh, I don't carry equipment i rarely use i carry backup equipment Uh, i carry some equipment part of the way i ditch it so i can go back and get it if i need it i do things like that but i don't i don't really chase uh, a better rifle because have
0: have you cut the handle off your toothbrush yet
1: (laughs) no nothing like that I'm not, I'm not going to be extreme or stupid. Uh, it, it has to be a real benefit. Yep. Like uh, I replaced my backpack and uh, the backpack weight weighed from 5.5 kilos down to 2.9. So that's a significant improvement just by yep. changing the backpack. And the same with the tripod. I shaved off a kilo and a half just by selecting a shorter carbon tripod because I don't, never used the last two legs on the one I had, things like that. Uh, but that's a slow process, and I don't chase the equipment. Uh, I did try the 300 Norma, uh, and I wanted to experiment if the improved wind drift were going to give any benefits, and you know, compared to the excessive recoil, because you're shooting what I call the very high class BC bullets with a G1, you know, 0.7, 0.8, so maybe even approaching 0.9. Uh, The drawback is that you usually need a specialized rifle and you Mm. usually need a larger cartridge because of the bolt weight. Uh, The benefit is, of course, that uh, you have much less wind drift and you have a much larger error margin in the wind. But uh, what happened is that I have 20, 25 years with a 6.5 millimeter and when things go fast and you're shooting on instincts, I was just applying 6.5 holds. So I was actually shooting less uh-huh. there with the improved wind drift than I was with a 6.5. And uh, yeah, so use something you are familiar with and use something that you can practice extensively with that will mm-hmm. outweigh any theoretical benefits. At least that's what I learned from that rifle.
0: I um I think it's also important for guys as well when they talk about, you know, we're getting, they're, they're comparing different cartridges and, and, you know, this has less wind drift versus elevation. 300 normas probably, there was enough that there was there a was significant difference, but I had a guy oh, yes. recently was looking at comparing two things and I said, well, we can all download these free apps now onto our phones and have a quick theory, you know, just the theory, but have a look at it. And I calculated in the end that the difference in the, elevation was not, you know, elevation's a constant, but wind drift was going to be like a click mill-wise at at a thousand. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. so you're right. Yes, there's a difference. What does that, and and I think the important thing is take that click and then convert that to what that means in an actual physical measurement as well, because people will look at stuff and go, well, it's better. It's like, yeah, but reframe it into it's better. Is it better enough within the like what's your target size is basically part of it yes you know and we have a good one with the guys one moa gun versus a half moa gun versus a quarter moa gun the deer doesn't care at 400 meters whether you're shooting a one moa gun or a quarter moa gun your bank account possibly does and time is the important thing as well the amount of time people will spend doing that Where you wonder, it's like, well, if you just got out and practiced your stalking more and understanding the animals more, you'd probably have more success than that quarter MOA gun will give you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, What I discovered with the 300, I think I shot it for one or two years, was that it more or less trashed my shooting. Because Mm. at all the normal ranges, there was no real need for a wind call. I could just hold off left or right on the vitals. I didn't have to leave the vitals. I only had to determine is do I have a right wind or do I have a left wind? Okay, I will hold left or right but still on the vitals. So I uh, simply lost the ability to do wind calls because I wasn't practicing it anymore. Uh, but the downside was that I was extremely vulnerable to error in my position because of the longer and increased recoil. So I was doing... More poor shots, you know, shots going high or going out to the side, still hitting and killing the animal, but, you know, basically ruining the carcass, putting them down hard, no problem like that. Mm. But when you puncture the uh, abdomen and, you know, you have rumen, you know, poo over the meat yep. you want to eat, that's absolutely no good. So, no, that was not a good trade-off at all. Um, and when you look at the theoretical margins of what is better, I like to say that um, consider effective error in wind call one meter per second. So just set your ballistic calculator to that, examine the range you want to look at, and is that error larger or smaller than the target you want to shoot? And if it is equal or smaller, you're going to be do well with that cartridge. No need to improve because it will be a good hit and a killing shot. Mm-hmm. So don't spend the money on Trying to improve something that will not improve because you always, you're going to have the error margin, and if you do make a good enough shot that you are perfectly happy with, why spend a lot of money to make that same shot with a different cartridge or a different bullet? Because <laughs> because it'll
0: drop more animals, obviously. For the latest and <laughs> greatest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so oh, well.
0: and each to their own some people want they also i I, oh yes i explained to some people as well we have obviously ticker is very popular in new zealand so are the sarkos and people constantly will go well a sarko doesn't necessarily shoot any better than a ticker. and before we go too far but i'll often say to people it's like well fair enough you can probably shoot your ticker better than that sarko but for some people they want to pick up that rifle that just feels a little nicer, has the name on it, has that, you know, and that's fine. That's what people drive different cars. They all go the speed limit, but certain people like a a nicer finish on their car, and that's fine as well. It might be the case they pick it up, they're a little happier because they've got it, and that results in them shooting it better because of weird things we do in our heads, you know. Um, Confidence yeah and whatever it might be pick up the get that rifle that when you pick it up you enjoy picking it up and you like picking it up and you're confident picking it up and the amount of times i've had again it was a lightweight rifle gentleman had his old trusty a7 and 7mm weight that he's just like anything i point at it it drops and it dies and that's what he'd always done he'd had it for years and he bought himself a nicer rifle that that super lightweight bigger cartridge gave it to me after a while and said this thing doesn't shoot I'm like, we'll see. Shot, shot like a laser, shot out to distance. But it just, like you said, with a 300 norma, it had kind of, it had pushed him around enough that he'd lost his mojo with it. And it didn't matter whether I showed him the groups that were tiny or big. He would always then pick up a 7mm eight, and things just dropped when you pointed at him. So it's like, well, keep using your 7mm eight. Where's the don't, don't bang your head against the wall with this other gun. Um, go shoot some more animals, which is what he did. He sold the thing eventually. And um, I guess I, I one thing guys tend to guys mainly tend to go out for their first gun if they don't know any better buy something that's far too big, um, and never spend the time learning how to shoot it, which is the the other shame. So, yes. So one thing I've noticed, and is this is my observation of this from New Zealand, right? The the European shooter has always seemed to you guys have leaned towards lighter and faster rather than the heavier and slower that you see especially now coming out of stateside and i'm meaning projectiles because I, I just look at the mo's, for example no not something no
1: i wouldn't know uh oh, okay. the, the the hunting culture in norway or the hunting culture across europe is so diverse that i can't really okay. identify it. okay uh, like the, like the german hunting culture i okay, I can probably box it in, but I don't understand it. And it's the same with the French and the Spanish, uh, the Italian. You know, when I see the calibers they use for the type of gun game they shoot, I'm like thinking, okay, why Why hmm. is this popular in your region? Like, why are you shooting a Charmi with, you know, 7mm mag or 300mm mag in your big, big guns? Uh, you would be perfectly adequate for the... Austrian 7x64 or a normal 3 weight, or, or why isn't that 2, for 3 more popular, things like mm-hmm. that? So really, I don't understand it uh, as a whole. I can only speak for the Norwegian ones. And the Norwegian culture is heavily influenced by whatever Nürma or Lapa sells, because that is by far the widest distributed and most popular uh, brands here. I would say they have 80 to 90% of the market mm
0: mm-hmm. well, we had seven mm 8 is a very popular cartridge in New Zealand to the point mm-hmm. apparently at one point we were taking ninety ninety five percent of all of hornaday's ammo seven mm o eight production down yep. into New Zealand, and that seems as I trace it back seems to have been a case of yeah, the importers probably somebody at the importer thought it was a a cool cartridge, got some guns in got some ammo and started selling them they just got that that move on it's a good cartridge no doubt but yeah the the real groundswell particularly up in auckland seems to have been yeah supply it's what they had so that's what guys were selling guys pick it up it just becomes normal as well
1: Um, yeah and it's the opposite in Norway. 708 you would be very hard pressed to find that in any stores because we have the six point five fifty five in the same position so yeah and then we
0: have uh, we have a lot of South Africans migrating down here, which, of course, then they're trying to get their big elephant guns for shooting fallow and red deer. And I've talked mm-hmm. to a few of the guys, and it's because they're used to, when they were growing up, they were occasionally shooting at stuff that would charge back at you. And it's like, well, yeah. I've never had a fallow deer charge at me, but if I had, yeah, you're right, I'd be choosing something big that was going to plant anything. So, yeah, it's just culture and, and um, what you get used to. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I uh, yeah I I am reminded I had another gentleman turn up. First gun, his very first gun, was a three hundred Blazer and a R eight I think it was, no suppressor, no brake or anything. And I think about we we I gently tried to suggest to him that maybe that was a little bit over the top for a first rifle. And recently, just let me know that he's looking at flicking it on, and I'm hoping he gets yep. himself something smaller to work up into. Um, because yeah, otherwise some bad habits form pretty quickly if that's what you're shooting. So absolutely. So a few years ago now I grabbed your first long long range shooting made basic. Excuse me if I've got that wrong, and I and also
1: got uh, number I two. Can't remember the time. Just in myself, memory, yes,
0: I know. I um
1: <laughs> No that that is just two fight and forget <laughs> projects. I haven't really seen those films.
0: Okay, so that that was my question. Was it Yeah, what kind of. You decided it was. You wanted to do something longer format? You're just trying that as a.
1: No, we just needed to put something out there that was accessible to hunters and uh, with the equipment that hunters normally would have, because that would be the recruiting base for the long range shooting that we see in Norway today. So you you had to produce something that was uh, relevant to the Scandinavian audience and and Mm. not the American audience, which were more heavily influenced by the tactical aspect of it, which didn't exist and wasn't welcome in Scandinavia at all. So we just wanted to make something to demonstrate what you can do with the equipment you already have so you don't Mm. have to invest a lot of money to try. And then it was just a matter of, you know, finding someone suitable to work with and... (laughs) Uh, how, how to put it, uh, in the gun writing or gun filming or hunting filming industry, there aren't really that many people you want to work with. There are a lot of weaselessly people. That Yeah. So uh, the condition I had for doing those films that I wanted first view and I wanted a ve- veto. So if I wanted something removed, you remove it. And there's not going to be any argument about that. Mm. And Yeah. They agreed to that and we made a film and I believe it was quite successful for them. I still go back and watch it occasionally,
0: one, because of the scenery, because again, it's just so nice to see the, the mountains and, and that in the background as well. Um, but also, I think it reminds me watching it, which is something that seems to have come through very strong with all your videos, is a a simplified approach to things and not making things any more complicated than they need to be. With the and, and that's including a lot of the ballistic calculations, especially with those extras that are on those those movies where you go through and explaining the wind rules and calculating the rules around the BDC dials. That it's yes. moving moving that that number crunching off into a admin role over a, a table with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, rather than trying to figure any of that out in the field. Um, which is where you get back to guys about to take a shoot on, shot on an animal or a target and they've got their phone in their hand or their kestrel in their hand trying to change things in their devices while there's an animal or they're on the... I've seen guys trying to configure their kestrels on the clock at a competition. But just this notion of moving it off into admin land. So it's something you do before you even go out and figure that all out down onto hard data for those cards.
1: Well, if you're trying to bring those... I'm going to be rude now, but if you are trying to bring those tasks into the firing position, you are incompetent. Sorry, mm. there's no way about that uh that stuff should be in your fingers, and the actual ballistics and the act of doing ballistics isn't the most important aspect; it is perception, you know sensing the environment around you and gauging the target and assessing if your shot did what it was supposed to do that's where your focus needs to be that's what's going to make you a safe and competent hunter I mean you can't I don't know how to put it, you are responsible for the bullet until it stops and (laughs) after you shoot it it is preferable that it doesn't kill anything other than the intended target, you don't want it to race through or uh, cut through brush or hit the infrastructure or uh, hurt other people. And you don't really have to kill or maim or injure other people. It's enough to give them a good scare and you are basically finished as a hunter and shooter. Mm.
0: It, it's something I've noticed as a trend and mainly out of America because it's where a lot of, even for us, where a lot of our media online comes from and the content comes from is they slowly have done this full circle and gotten back to the hard data. Which is, it's kind of funny. It's that you've watched them, and I've done it myself, and we've done it locally where you've got all the bits and pieces, and I've got my rule for ply ballistics on it. But it's all come through to going back onto a data card where you've written out all your drops and wind calls and just knowing what the data is and looking at it and then just shooting and forgetting about it, you know, being in the moment and taking that shot and forgetting about all that other stuff that you should have had sorted already. So it's it's been entertaining in some ways to watch. Basically, these videos come round to where you've constantly stayed through.
1: Um, yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's kind of my in-your-face moment. I did that 20 yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, uh, and then again, uh, it also has a bit to do with my training and understanding of uh, task management and what you are mentally capable of doing and understanding your task and understanding what your end goal is. And you need to focus on end gold and the result and not the, uh, as we discussed earlier, what people are trying to sell you to reach the end goal. And as long as you have that focus, you're going to come full circle and come around. And at least with the, as you said, the advent of more media being available, uh, the guys that have at their core solid fundamentals are also the same people that are starting to come out on top all over the world. You know, in the competitions, uh in the media scene they are more credible because ballistics and techniques with the rifle are more or less a, a science, and by science I mean that you can duplicate and you will get the same results wherever you do it in the world. Uh, it's not something dodgy, like you said, black magic or wood or whatever the mm-hmm. word was. Follow these steps and you will get the same or very similar results. And I think as more media is available and the combined effect of all of that is a bigger influence on the new shooters. So even though you you may or may not choose what would be the optimal source for your end goal, there are so many sources now saying the same thing, that there is a larger chance of you being influenced in the right direction, having your own successes. And then, you know, understanding as you reach your own point of elimination. okay, this is the way I want to go. And it's easier to achieve success today than it was 20 years ago, and it's easier today to find good, incredible sources. Mm. And yeah, no, it's good, it's been good. And as you say, the tech junkies are starting to die off because they don't have the longevity. Uh, They are unable to produce the results uh, that, I don't know what to call them, Uh, the fundamental guys. That sounds awfully wrong, but the guys that focus on a skill set and position work are the guys that will deliver uh, the predictable and solid results over time. And they may not be the very best then and there, but on the average and over time, they will end up on top.
0: Well, having a solid set of fundamentals and basic skill will translate over to whatever the latest gear is to a certain extent anyway. But the yes, problem is say. with with focusing on the latest gear is there is always new gear and it may yes. change and, and there may be a disruptive technology that completely changes the way that people like to do things, but the fundamentals will stay the same. There's not, there's yes. been, it's, I observe it's been the it's not like new things come out and completely change the way we shoot. It's just these constant little refinements that people are bringing out, and and as we're looking at things, and and yeah, it's refinement on those basics. It's not just like completely different,
1: really. Um, no, it's an interesting time to be in. Uh, I would say, are you familiar with the company Gunworks? Yes. Yeah, I. <laughs> Well, in my opinion, they are the first company at an industrial scale. Uh, And by that, I mean that they are are unable to put out enough product to influence the market at large. And they, to my knowledge at least, they were the first company that actually invested in the knowledge of understanding recoil and shooting and building better hunting rifles. Mm. So if you look at what they've done with the stock design, and where they are now, and <laughs> how many that are starting to understand the same thing and starting to latch on to that. Uh, okay, welcome after. And uh, <laughs> on the on side, if you want to look at the, I, uh, I, you, you, you must be familiar with Frank Gallia and the sniper hide. Yep. Yeah. In some circles, controversial. Uh, but if you read his book about long range shooting to me that was like stepping into an echo chamber Mm -hmm. uh it is the best distilled knowledge base i have read on long range shooting so if you want something short and simple you can read that book and everything is explained to a sufficient degree that you will have you know huge success you can go far before you reach your performance roof if you follow his steps so franco yeah, found it, has it,
0: always been pretty blunt and brutal with his opinion and that's just again culture that's part of who he is yeah. but yes same thing harping on it's the fundamentals it's the the latest toys yeah. are nice but it's the fundamentals and it's the yeah learning those basics understanding it and um, you see now day, there's
1: a sorry those go. guys i believe I'm not sure what the timeline are, but even as a kid, I can remember reading about, you know, since the advent of internet, basically, I can remember reading about Sniper's Hide and Frank Kelly. Yep. And so, well, towards well, the 80s, if,
0: yeah. if people follow the path I've done with the Trigonometry Show, particularly on the American side of things, is I was literally, in some cases, kind of interviewing guys, figuring out, well, where did you learn what you're talking about from and following that path up. And I got to talk to Frank, interviewed him, and then, of course, I realized his time at um, Rifles Only with Jacob Bynum as well. As you go up another step and you've got Jacob sitting there who was, I would say, quite influential on Frank. They are working together, but but Jacob's another guy. And same thing, he just skips a lot of the stuff that's got I've seen him shooting a... Barreled action strapped to a bit of two by four to a kilometre, and he's like, the principles are still the same. It's not as comfortable as some of the newer stuff, but the principles of what we need to do and our fundamentals are the same. Um, yeah, it, it's just like I say, as as time and equipment has improved, it's just been a refinement of those things, not just completely replacing it. Um, so you you mentioned gun works, and it segues nicely into a, another question I have which is the, the gear side of things and it, it ties into your, your reticle design which I yes. saw you talk about recently was never really a, so much a commercial consideration as it was a, a project for you to kind of I don't know express an idea or something like that Yes, how, it was. how did that start? Because I know I, the tie in with Gunworks is I know that they have, I have to check if they still have it, they've got a Leopold with a modified version of it sitting in there now as well.
1: Oh, the first problem I had, or the problems I always needed to solve, was how to kill things reliably. So that was the end goal. And what happens between deciding to shoot and actually shooting and putting the target down? I'm not interested in going via a process or calling it emerald. So the hybrid or the concept reticle was just trying to engineer direct support for the end results I needed to reach, which and um, into that was range and moving target and speed of target acquisition. And the biggest weakest point with the scopes I've been using up to then, uh, they were first focal plane, but when you go down low on the magnification like when you are bush hunting the reticle also tends to disappear Mm. which means that you would be better off with a second focal plane and we just try to get some make something radical and uh, out of that there was a market demand created uh, with Minox and yeah they put out the second version of it which I'm not at all happy with because it was never intended to sell and isn't refined as a commercial product sure. you know it's um, you know it's not what it's supposed to be which is kind of annoying to me but I think <laughs> that's it and the gunworks version is a lot closer because it is refined more towards uh, the hunting and yeah. it focuses more on having a clear view and assessing what your bullet does so I'm actually more fond of the Gunwax version of that radical than the one that I am using myself, because I, that I was, th-
0: yeah, it was the generate the next version you got to refine and have that input onto it rather than,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I think what appealed to me because it's uh, the irony is with that because I have I have it down here. I had to wait near a year just because of supply chain a year or two for it to actually turn up with the your reticle in it. And, um now with lockdowns bits and pieces I still haven't got to shoot it anywhere near as much as I want or need to really because I, I think with with your reticles like that like in a way more complicated way like the Horace reticles or the um you know with the shooter dots it's not only the 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 reticle it's also a methodology methodology or a um a way of thinking behind it as well and in the case of your reticle although the the design might look initially quite complex it's it is about simplicity and speed and once you understand that it's a case of going okay I just need to understand where these holes are and then leave all that and just go what am I looking at where do I hold it on the reticle and we're away um, but yeah it is like I say I've got the reticle it's it is very busy initially um but it still makes more sense to me in my brain than some of what might be more
1: simpler reticles um
0: just because it's
1: you know because i had limited money to invest in our project it was financed by myself i also had to put okay i need to do everything i do i need to do in this scope because this is Mm. the scope i'll be buying so that's the combination hunting and competition and I would really like to see a refined hunting version out of mm. you know, remove all the ranging estimates. And there was also a couple of in-your-face uh, designs. <laughs> if you look far left, oh, correction, down to the right, there's a milling range uh, for the military targets. Uh, you know, the silhouette targets that people or some armies still institutionally yep. shoot at at ranges. And the traditional is using that ladder design with two, four, six, and eight hundred meters, maybe a thousand, maybe twelve hundred. Uh, but that design is towards an idealized target, which is 47.5 centimeters wide and you know, always facing you 90 degrees, you know, nice, a like standing
0: up straight, nice and square. Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, real life doesn't do that, you can have any angle. And also 200, 400, 600, it isn't relevant. You don't want to go back and forth. You want to get a good enough uh, range and you want to let the projectile enter the danger space at a sufficiently good point and the bullet will fall into the target. And it doesn't matter if you hit here or hit here. It's going to achieve the end result, and instead of then going back and forth with the more primitive scale, you have one look. Okay, I'll use the five hundred dial. It doesn't matter what sort of range it is, because the danger space will knock that target down. Yeah. So that was, you know, just an intellectual challenge from the side, and yeah. Well, not uh, not something you have used for.
0: No, but um, you know, there was part of me was like. I'm getting that scope, getting that reticle, one to support, and I don't know financially how much it supports you down all the way down the line, but it's like I also wanted to just support what you'd been doing. Oh, nothing. Like, yeah. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> In hindsight, I, I was I like, get I don't...
1: It. Yeah, I, I see should probably absolutely. just give some Patreon <laughs> money,
0: but that's all right.
1: <laughs> I don't do Patreon. Yeah. I don't get any money from the films uh, which I made, and I don't get any money from the scopes. Hmm. Uh, it's all been financed out of- the films have been financed by uh, sure. uh, that company, but uh, it was getting the information out there at a sufficiently large scale to have an impact and doing it right. I mean, not having someone above me trying to sell this as a commercial sponsor product to promote you know, a rifle or a scope or things like that. So that was the most important thing with that project. And the scope project was just... Uh, Experiments basically, why, not, why not have a scope to be with successful
0: your, with your own reticle <laughs> design in it? There's not many people who can really claim that at any level, anyway. So,
1: <laughs> no, yeah, that's the point.
0: So, I was gonna ask in regards to the YouTube videos like, yeah, it's not necessarily something you make money off. Do you have you had issues in regards to YouTube with putting up firearms content, or has it no. just no, never? Because I often look at, uh, neither of I, and I if think
1: you, if, if, if you look at the monetization side of it, uh, I believe in a year from YouTube, uh, they pay me roughly 1,100 New Zealand dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the same numbers... Hang on, I'll just look this up because I looked up those numbers uh, for another podcast I did. Oh, basically you can make your youtube about anything other than shooting and you're going to yes make more money yeah uh and for example if i was speaking about cameras instead uh i would at least make five times that and I, if yeah. i was speaking about finance i would be making 10 15 or 20 times that yeah. on the same amount of use that i have uh so if you want to monetize youtube and make money uh hunting and shooting is probably one of the worst subjects you can uh, choose. You know, you can do camping, you can do wilderness experience, you can do whatever, nature photography, you name it, and the algorithms will support it. Yep. And you will also get more money per view. So if well, you're like... in it for money, stay away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes. yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the, I, I can yeah, literally yeah. take one weekend of overtime and uh, that will pay more than spending yep. a year working for youtube if you put it that yep. way yeah. i
0: think i think for me it was never the intent to like i i not avoided youtube but i didn't put a lot of youtube a lot of videos and stuff we do i actually well not self-host but i host elsewhere and then just embed into the website because same as facebook any social media there is reasons that they are careful putting any gun content up. And unfortunately, it's not the, it's not related to the content that you do and I do, which is safety-related or information-related, but it just all gets caught in the algorithm. Um, yes. And I find it's the same thing. Yes, I put a video up on anything other than shooting. It gets more views, and now I just look at it, well, I'll put those out, not for money, but as a way of getting people into the site, so then maybe they can get this other information as well if they're that way inclined so um but i also note, i mean you're not running around with a pile of molly gear and a ballistic vest and all those other bits and pieces that goes on to another another level of um it's good wholesome gun content basically thomas is what you're producing so
1: yeah no i just i like doing it for the challenge of making the films and capturing um the uh, hunt that was how it started, basically from visiting New Zealand and seeing how the hunters I was out with also filmed their hunts and you know made films for the families and things like that. Yep. And I like the technical aspect of filming and hunting, Um, you know enjoy cutting the images, enjoy learning new skills. And but when I put it out on YouTube, it's like writing a book, putting it in the library. I could not care less who mm-hmm. reads it. Yeah. It's it, it's Done. gone. Yeah.
0: So you sort of stated with the end of your last season that you'd kind of clocked YouTube, you'd achieved your goals for yes. for that. Uh, for this season, then what are, what are the new goals? If you've achieved those, now what's the uh, is there a master goal or is it uh, as no. you said just refining? <laughs>
1: The previous goal was to create a sufficiently large base uh, for a long range shooting to be uh, to grow into a sport. You know, recruit people, uh, make it possible for local clubs, small clubs, to put up a match without really running into a financial risk because they knew from a, as you said, a wholesome source that this is something I can show up and try and pay my entrance fee. It's not going to be a militia or, Mm. you know, molar tactical, the American influence. Not that I'm saying that that's how it is, but if you don't know anything about long-range shooting and you just have the peripheral knowledge from the internet, uh, you also can catch a fair amount of the tactical aspect of it, which we don't have in Norway and... You know from experience that can discourage quite a few you know hunters from trying it and yeah. wanting to get into it uh so we wanted to combat that and we were suc- successful in doing that you know it is accepted as a sport and you know people show up to the matches and there is now an economy running and it's you know it's a wholesome economy and they don't need any further aid from me basically because they got this now they, they have the numbers in membership and things like that. Hmm. So that part of internet and going to matches and filming the matches and explaining the stages and whatnot, ah, I'm not going Done. to spend more time doing that. Yeah. Uh, and then it's the hunting, which I enjoy doing and I enjoy filming the hunts and uh I wouldn't say it's a tuition tool for hunting, but trying to show more of what hunting can be about, or at least my perspective on hunting, because it's so much variable. And then it's just a personal development part, which is just me learning new skills and the uh, intellectual challenge of trying to convey some fairly abstract, like, the next season will be about doing wind calls, you know, abstract teams, and see if I can hack that up into a format that is understandable and will produce results for people. We don't mm-hmm. necessarily have uh, access to a training regime or some sort of infrastructure where they can come in under tuition of a mentor, and they have to learn everything for themselves. So hopefully, we'll be able to show that in a better way.
0: Well. I mean, you sent me a link to the the next video, three forty five that, that you're putting out, and watching that, it's just like a a masterclass presented in one of the simplest and easiest to understand formats for shooting. It's just like anybody who is interested, if they can watch that, apply that, they're going to be leaps and bounds. In front of a lot of people who have never spent the time so you've just managed to take all these natural point of aim, breath side alignment picture and everything and body positioning and you've just nailed it down into this nice little easily um digestible and understandable video i, I watched it and i was like yeah wow that's it's you can see your last 12 years have almost been put into there so i look forward to what comes after that <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, no, I've uh, <clears throat> I've been I have have been working a bit on the financial side now because upping at this stage I am able to defend it financially. It doesn't influence the economy or my family. But if I want to up image quality now, and if I want to up the audio quality, and if I want you know to kill more cameras, basically, <laughs> I. There also has to be a, um, not a gain, but I have to mitigate the costs somewhere, keep the costs down. And the only way I was able to do that was to get sponsorships. But only sponsorships that solve a problem for me, which is basically time. Uh, And (laughs) the biggest time saver for me is not reloading. So I've taken off uh, LAPO as a sponsor. Mm. And... um, also get a better price on the barrels from blaster so i don't really have to worry about that being a huge expense Uh, i think i pay essentially cost for the barrels now which means i can spend them and use them and i can you know i can do 200 shots on the range i can get the shots i want and i can distill that into a tuition and i don't have that huge expense of also doing that i'm left with the production cost but i'm not left with the material cost so i'm by and large been able to remove that which makes things easier and that makes it also possible for me to focus more on the technical side of making better films uh which well hopefully i will be able (laughs) to do it it's about finding times and you know mastering audio and getting that quality up yeah uh I'm trying to, uh, yeah. You'll, you'll be uh, comparing the, the quality to... of
0: different microphone cables before you know it. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> There's a whole other no, no, black no. hole there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to understand where the fuck do I place the lavalier <laughs> where, where it isn't ripped off and doesn't rub into clothes. You should try because, because when you lavaliers have.
0: Lavaliers with a beard, mate, that's good. You They sit somewhere <laughs> up here.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like a wind windsock, no. permanent windsock over it. Oh, All <clears> right yeah so uh, oh, yeah. yes uh, yeah there you go it's a, yeah um obviously we i i i mean i encourage guys to go out and and buy b- buy whatever they want to buy but i mean going out and buying your uh minox scope is possibly not the best way to uh support you so for guys who are keen to support you in some way what's what's the best method is it subscribing following sharing what's the um, uh and whatever supporting don't... might mean
1: <laughs> no um, I can tell you what motivates me mm, yeah. uh, if you try it and you succeed and you tell me about it that's mission accomplished for me and it's the same with those you know, token patches I have on yep. my shooting mats I have a few of those and they've been given to me and <laughs> when you're out trying to Motivate yourself, or find a reason for why am I doing this? I mean, you are just putting it into black holes. You are not producing any numbers. There is no money in it. There is mm-hmm. no nothing. I mean, it's a, it, it's a. If you want to make something of yourself or contribute to uh, yourself financially, it's a, what I am doing. It's a, it's a dead end, and it's a known dead end. But yep. if you look at what it does in terms of quality of life and the people you get to meet, the experiences I've had. Mostly because of the shooting and the filming it's been rewarding enough and uh, I would say you know you meet a lot of quality people when you communicate with like or not necessarily like minded shooters but with shooters and hunters that are willing to improve and you know uh, want to do something better or I don't know how to fin- pronounce it <laughs> People Mm -hmm. that want to be responsible, whatever they are doing, uh, they seem to have a certain moral metal at the core, which I find that I communicate more or less perfectly with them when I meet them in real life. Mm. And it's been, you know, all over the world. I mean, New Zealand, uh, Utah, Wyoming, uh, North Dakota. Not so well in North Dakota. Oh, I just managed to uh, inadvertently insult quite a few Americans there. Never meant to, but it's quite a funny story actually. Because I was uh, out shooting waterfall, and I was a student at the time, so I didn't have any money. I just, you know, went to a thrift store, bought some uh, nature colored clothes, and I had a shotgun. and I went up and hid in the bushes, and I didn't have money for decoys, so I just let the first geese land, and I used them as decoys and shot the stilevors. And then I got to talking to a crew with, uh, you know, a full kit, you know, hundreds of decoys, pickups, and that sort uh-huh. of things. And yeah, it was going good. And then he asked me if if we had this at home, and I said, no, we don't. Just wear, wear green clothes. <laughs> and I was, say, I, I was just saying, no, yeah. we don't, because we don't have the number of waterfalls, yeah. so we don't invest in that kind of equipment. And what he was saying. <laughs> No, we are better hunters. You are shit at need all that stuff, and everything just went downhill immediately, and it got so awkward. So I just rolled off the window and you know yeah. drove
0: off. Pleasure. Bye. And I had
1: a num and I had a number of incidents like that where I yeah. inadvertently just insulted people. Oh well, uh, thankfully not so in New Zealand. I was able to be no, I was able to be Norwegian there. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing I would say about KiwiSat is that when you compare them to the European hunters, they don't understand uh, what levels of uh, marksmanship and outdoor skills they have. I think you are, or at least before the advent of the internet, you're a bit too isolated and, you know, mm. too too small a community and not enough to compare it with, with the outside. But when you look at the backcountry hunting side of it and the skill set and the ab- ability to navigate, Uh, it's uh, a lot higher than the average uh, Mm. european hunter absolutely of course you have extremes all over the place but you know as an average for the hunting population yeah yeah it's very good Mm.
0: excellent all right so youtube channel is your primary output
1: you it's the only output.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you don't have the, the THLR site, which had the LR proficiency stuff no longer. So YouTube is where we oh, find it. Oh, it's,
1: it's there, but it's just, th- there's nothing there. I yeah. just own the page. I don't put anything out there. Yeah. I don't set, sell in anything or anything like that. I'm hoping to upload targets uh, on the THLR so you can download manuals, you know, pamphlets, whatever, step-by-step, you know, error guides, things like that. But, it's not something I've made a priority of, so there's mm. nothing there for the moment.
0: Oh, good. All right. So we'll we'll have links so people can find it. I mean, your channel has been probably more than anyone else's the thing that I tell people to go go and check out because it's just so easy for people to gain. What you do is yeah, easily
1: approachable. You know, you should can see me it. on TikTok. <laughs> tiktok thomas i always threaten my kids that if you don't behave i'm going to make tiktok thomas and i will do it properly like the female influencers i will be you know dressed up in a Uh lycra yeah (laughs) have the camera focus somewhere entirely else than the rifle
0: i look forward to it yeah 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 yeah. something like this (laughs) what the kids are into no. if you want to be an influencer no I'm not going going <laughs> no, to go you're there no you not going there excellent <laughs> thank you very much again for your time mate it's um, been a long time coming and I do appreciate it it's been good good finally actually talking to you I've uh, learned a lot from you nope. so I uh,
1: appreciate it no problem enjoy and good luck down under hopefully thank I will you. be over to some chammy when things settle
0: when, when you're allowed down and we're allowed out it'll be, be good yeah.
1: yeah exactly
0: okay nice talking thank to you. you bye now